Uh, John 6. I, I love this passage. I'm excited to teach on John 6 this morning. And uh, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it, follow along. There should be a Bible there, maybe in the seat back in front of you. And I want you to follow along as we teach through this passage this morning. I am going to be jumping around and using some of the, this account of this story in the other Gospels as well. Uh, but John 6 is where we'll camp. If you're brand new to Church of the Valley this morning, we're so glad you're here. Thanks for visiting us. And uh, it's a joy to have you worship with us this morning. We are on a multi-year journey walking through the Gospel of John. And so, uh, Lord willing, uh, we'll hit the resurrection at the end of Gospel of John in 2024. And, uh, and so we are on a multi-year journey walking through this. And we're basically seeking uh, to have an accurate picture of Jesus. It's important to know who Jesus is, what Jesus came to do, and what Jesus is currently doing. We're going to allow John 6 to give us some reference for that this morning to help us understand who Jesus is. Um, I'll start with a story. Several months ago, I was in San Diego meeting with a team of pastors from all across the country, and the organizers of this event decided to invite us out to participate in a, a well-watching excursion. And uh, so we were going to head out of the San Diego Bay and go approximately eight miles out into the ocean, track down some gray wells. Sounds like fun. I'm, I'm like, this, this is awesome. Sounds unbelievable. Unfortunately, I discovered this was not your typical excursion in like a cruise liner ship, uh, but we were going to head out to sea in inflatable Navy ships powered by twin engines. Okay, so you can imagine, I walk up thinking, you know, I've seen well excursions, you know, where you get on, you know, this giant ship and you head out and this thing, it's, it's filled with air, right? And, and so you can imagine my, my concern and uh, to say I was concerned was, was quite an understatement. And so we're given instructions, we're invited to put on waterproof gear and we head out of the bay. And at first it's calm. But the further and further and further we get away from shore, the wind begins picking up, the waves start getting a little larger, and we start getting airborne with each and every wave as we take off across the ocean. And I felt like I was needing to keep it together, not only because I was with a group of pastors and, uh, you know, I didn't want to show areas of weakness or fear, like there's some insecurity there. And so I'm like, you got to keep it together, right? Uh, but I was also just, they had just mentioned right over here on your right is Point Loma where Top Gun, Top Gun was filmed. And you're like, it kind of just gave me that boost. Like I can do this, right? I can get it together um, because we all want to be in Top Gun. And so I just felt like I can't be scared of a wave if I'm going to be maverick, you know, in in the future. So I get it together. And the further and further we got, I'm kind of gripping the seat a little bit tighter. And I kind of look around. I see if there's any fear on anybody else's face. And I just ask the question, is this safe? Because it just seems at any moment, this, this boat could hit a wave and, and we could fall out of the boat. And I'm just wondering... And it ended up being an incredible experience, but I couldn't help but recall this story when I was reading John chapter 6 this week. There are so many parallels between what I experienced in San Diego, heading out eight miles into the ocean, and what the disciples are facing 
here in John chapter 6. And while you may not be on a boat, and while you may not be in you know, a, f- a physical storm, the description of this journey is comparable to what many of us face on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a yearly basis. In verse 18 in this passage, in chapter 6, it says, The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And I don't know how you're coming in this morning. I don't know where you are emotionally, spiritually, physically, health, what, what it is that you feel like is, is surrounding you at this moment. But I do know enough about many of your stories to know that the sea that you've been living in has been rough. It's been a challenge. It seems like the wind is against you. We see this story also portrayed in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And Mark 6 describes this journey maybe in a more descriptive way. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it says, He saw that they were making headway painfully. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning or to admit publicly your area of weakness But I just want to ask you, do you feel like you're making headway painfully through life? That this journey of life that God has you on is challenging. There's a wind that is stacked against you. And that's how many of us would probably describe our life this morning. And if that isn't your experience, praise God. But I've journeyed long enough through this life to know that if I'm not in a storm, there's probably a storm coming. And the question is, will we be prepared? Jesus was out to prepare his disciples. If you remember from last week, we looked at the earlier part of John chapter 6. We heard about Jesus miraculously feeding the crowd of people that had gathered on the hillside. And he did this. Thousands of people gathered And it says, he did so with just five barley loaves and a few fish, and he fed thousands. And John's gospel calls this a sign. He doesn't call this a miracle. He calls this a sign because it was something that was meant to point. It wasn't something that we were to focus on the miracle in and of itself. It points to something. And the miracle, that, that event, the feeding of thousands of people right there on, on that hillside, was a sign that was to point to the identity, power, and character of Jesus. It was meant to give an illustration. It was meant to paint a picture. It was made to point a portrait, an accurate portrait of who is Jesus. And it says that Jesus, at the end of our passage last week, it says that Jesus is going to depart from them because they lacked spiritual perceptivity. They, they didn't see Jesus for who he truly was. And they tried to make Jesus into who they wanted him to be. And they tried to use Jesus for their own purposes and for advancement of their own mission rather than joining the mission that Jesus was coming to do. And so it says that Jesus is going to depart from them. And what we're going to see in this passage today is 
Not only did this crowd that was gathered there, did they lack this spiritual perception, but the disciples lack spiritual perception. And it causes me to believe that this sign, this miracle that was being performed for thousands of people wasn't for the thousands of people. It was actually for the disciples. And I, I want to help us see that. And I want us to, that, that it's actually for us. That, that this miracle, while we weren't there, while we weren't participating in receiving that miraculous feeding with just a few fish and a few loaves of bread, that today it's for us. What, what Jesus came to teach and what Jesus came to coach the disciples through is for us. He invites Philip in. Remember that from last week? Like he has, he, he has them look upon the crowd and he says, look, at how, how are we going to feed all these people? And it says, even though Jesus knew what he was going to do. So Jesus is using this as a teaching moment. And then at the very end, it says he, he sends them out and they go and they gather the leftovers and they gather the leftovers. And how many baskets were there? 12. And, and it's like, why, why 12? I don't know. Maybe every single one of the disciples had a basket. And so they're standing there with an abundance of bread and fish, all these leftovers, and they're going, how did this happen? And, and, and they're astonished and, and they're amazed. And, and they're just standing there with this abundance, with these baskets. And, and it's just a picture and a portrait of going, look at what I can do. It's not meant to gaze at the basket. It's not meant to look at the food and go, wow, look at all this food. It's meant to go, look at Jesus. And they're going to miss it. Why? How do we know that? Well, that's where the text takes us. Jesus is teaching them. He wants the disciples to know and trust in his true nature. And, 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 and there's reasons to believe that this isn't just a, a random event, but there is a redemptive plan that is happening here in John chapter 6. And I want you to see that because so often for, for us, we think, man, this is just a random event. We're experiencing the storms of life. We're experiencing a headwind that's come against me, and I don't know what to do, and I'm ro rowing ferociously, and it doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. And often, we can just look at it as a random event, and we don't see it as God's redemptive plan in our life. And that's what I want to help us see. In verse 16 and 17 in our text this morning, it says this. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, when we read that text... It, 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 and we read it in John's gospel, we, we see this as it was the disciples' decision. The disciples are there. Jesus says he pulls away from the crowd. That's where we end in verse 15. And then it says in 16, the disciples, they go get into a boat and they leave. And we ask like, well, why are, where are they going? Why are the disciples leaving? Why did they depart across the sea? And in some ways, this may seem like a random story to be included in the discourse of Jesus about him being the bread of life. 
Or is Jesus helping the disciples further understand that he is the bread of life? And that's why I think these stories are connected. This isn't just a random event. This wasn't. This is something that Jesus, I believe, orchestrated because he has the power over the wind, over the elements, over the food, over the storms, over your life. He's sovereign. He has the power over all those things. And so we have to read outside John chapter 6 here, and we're going to jump into Mark chapter 6 because it tells the same story, and, and I think it gives us some understanding. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, here's what it says. Immediately, Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat. Okay, so Jesus, they're being obedient to Jesus. Jesus commanded them to go get into the boat. John's gospel doesn't include that, that but... Mark's gospel says he made them. He sent them. Go get into the boat. Jesus pulls away up onto the hillside to pray. He sends them to go and get into the boat. He made them do that. But then at the very end of Mark chapter 6, when it, when it ends the story, the whole account that we read here in John 6, it says at the very end, they did not understand about the loaves. Now, if you go back and read Mark 6, it is super confusing. What I mean by that is we see this random, he makes them get into a boat, sends them out. He sees them making their, their headway is painful. He comes to them. He meets them in that moment. They're scared to death. And then Jesus says, they don't understand about the loaves. What is going on? What's the point here? Here's what I want you to see. First thing, Jesus is coaching. Jesus is coaching. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is coaching them. He's testing their ability under pressure. He's testing whether or not they truly understood the, what the purpose and meaning of the loaves was. And he sends them out on a boat. And the pressure and the storm and the wind and everything that came against them was di divine. Like it was, it was given. God is over those things. He's putting pressure upon them to test them to see if they truly understood that the miracle was not just a miracle. It was a sign. It was meant to point to the identity of Jesus. Do you trust me? He's testing their ability under pressure. That's what a coach does, right? I, I play like two sports that I, I felt like I, I, I've been coached at well. I played golf in high school and college, and I, I've recently done CrossFit and coach CrossFit. All right, these are the two sports. And so when I think about a coach, when I think about golf, all right, some of you are like, that's a sport? It's a sport, all right? Hang on, hang with me, all right? You can apply, figure out how to apply this to your own story, your own sport. And, but when I play golf, what is it that, like, under pressure. In golf, it was distractions. It was the crowd noise. It was people driving by and honking their horn right when you swing. And some of you do that, right? You're very kind. And, uh, and it's just like all the distractions. And so a coach testing our ability under pressure would cause distraction. He, he would want there to be extra distractions so that you can tune your mind to get focused on hitting this little white ball down the fairway and chase it. And, and so a coach would do that. He'd apply pressure. And then I think about CrossFit. In CrossFit, you want distraction, right? Because you don't want to be sitting there the whole time thinking, gosh, I, I just hear myself breathe. 
and, and I'm barely breathing, and, and my lungs are burning. And so you turn on music, and you turn it really loud so that you don't hear yourself breathing. You don't know if you died. And, and you're just sitting there, and you're trying to ferociously try to get through the workout. And so if you want to test your ability under pressure, you remove music. I know a lot of times when I go running with a group of people, they'll be like, hey, can we turn on some music, or can you talk? It's like, I don't want to have just silence when we're working out. And so you want to remove the distraction. And so I'm like, well, let's, let's take that away because that's going to equip us to, to better deal with the pressures, right? What Jesus is doing, Jesus is testing them. He's equipping them for what's to come. And we may not look at this and we go, oh, it's a random event. They're in a storm. And I want you to see this is God's redemptive plan for the disciples to teach them to teach them and show them what they're truly holding on to. He's preparing them. And we see this in the questioning of Philip last week. Although Jesus knew what he was going to do, Jesus is teaching him. He's wanting to produce something in him. And many times the fulcrum that God uses to produce something in us is the storms of life. Paul Tripp says this, God will take you where you do not want to go in order to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. Where many of us don't want to go is a storm. If, if you're like, hey, I would really love if a storm in my life would just surface this week and I could just in, walk through that, right? That would be awesome. We don't want to painfully make our way through that. But it's many times in painfully making our way through life that God begins releasing me from reliance upon me. And what he's showing them here is these are fishermen, these are not people who are scared of, of the sea. They're not people who are scared of a little wind. They're used to this. But they find themselves in a place of fear. And it may not just be the fear of the storm, but a fear of Jesus even coming to them, what we're going to read about. But they find themselves afraid. And it just goes to show that their trust is not in Jesus. It's perception. Do we have the spiritual perceptivity to see the storms of life, not as evil intent, but God's redemptive plan? And here's what I would say. There are evil actions in life. And so please don't hear me referencing those this morning as things that sins that people have committed against you and referencing those as storms of life and going, that's God's redemptive plan. I believe God is sovereign over those events and I believe that God is, will use those events to redeem and, and for his purposes. But I'm talking about the storms of life that we face and we encounter. Do we see those? Do we have spiritual perceptivity to go, this isn't just a challenging situation. God is really trying to teach and grow and produce something in me in this moment. In 1 Peter 1, 6-7, it says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We hear a few things in that, grieve, trial, and test. These three words are three things that many of us want to get away from and avoid. And the reality is, is those three words are many of the things that God is trying to do and use in your life to produce something in you. So I'll be the first to say, grieve, trial, test, sounds like something I'm going to run from. 
right? Anybody else with me in that? Grieve trial test. I don't want more of those in my life. But 1 Peter says those are present in my life to produce something in me. And so that it would lead to glory and honor and praise when I'm with Jesus and go like, oh, that's what that was for. That's what that was for. And it just shows those trials, those storms of life are meant to produce something in us. What Jesus is seeking to do with the disciples, I believe, is Jesus is trying to prepare them for the work that lay ahead. This is not the worst storm that the disciples will face. I found it interesting that a lot of commentators pointed to another point where 5,000 people were saved. In Acts chapter 2, we read about this. And what comes after that great victory? Persecution. And the question is, is Jesus can do the miraculous. Jesus can feed 5,000 and Jesus can save 5,000. But storms of life are still going to surface. And Jesus who was enough to feed 5,000 and Jesus who was enough to save 5,000 is, is going to be enough in the midst of persecution and is going to be enough in the midst of the storms of your life. But do you believe in that? Pastor Tim Keller in New York City talks a lot about what, what, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is, is seeking to reveal our life rafts that we're holding on to for security. And, and a lot of us, we, we have those. We, we think it's our relationships, our house, our job, our security, our finances, whatever it is, our saving account, our, our, our wits, our knowledge, And these are just false life rafts. They will not save you. They will not help you endure to the end. And like we go back to John chapter 3, they will always leave us empty. They will always leave us seeking for more. But Jesus brings the abundance. Jesus leaves them there with 12 basketfuls. And like this is where you put your trust. Jesus is coaching them. Jesus is coaching them. But it says they did not understand the loaves. They didn't have the perception to be able to see the loaves and see what it meant, to see what it's pointing to. Not only does Jesus coach, but Jesus cares. Not only, I I think this is important because a lot of times we're like, man, Jesus, you're wanting to produce something in me. Yeah, he wants to lead you to something that will truly give you hope. Somewhere you can truly find an anchor. Somewhere you can truly be secure. Not all these false securities that we hold on to. And so Jesus is out to produce something in us. Jesus is out to send storms. Jesus is out to see us. But, but he doesn't just see us painfully making headway. He cares for you. He cares for you. In verse 17 in 18, it says he got into the, they, they, they got into the boat. They started across the sea to Capernaum, and it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. In Mark 6, same story, we go over to Mark 6, it says, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. Here's, here's what I'd say. He sees it. He knows it. Often we think Jesus is not present with us. Jesus doesn't know what I'm facing. Jesus doesn't care about what I'm facing. Jesus sees it and he cares about it. Jesus sees the storms that you're going through and Jesus cares. And we read in these passages and we read 
honestly, in all of the Gospel of John, as we've uh, as have led up to John chapter six, we see the relationship we are to have with Jesus. We see Jesus feeding, protecting, rescuing, providing, healing, teaching, guiding. This is the relationship that Jesus has with you and desires to have with you. He cares. He cares. He cares for you in the midst of that storm. He sees that you are making headway painfully. Now, here's what I would say. I'm, I'm a dad. I, I have kids in my home. And I, I see things that my kids face or experience in life. And I don't think I have to convince you that as a dad that I care. I care about those things. I care about the emotional, spiritual, physical health of my children. And my heart in those moments when I experience my kids facing something is to draw near, to come near. And I'm not a perfect father. But God, our Father, is a perfect Father. And He's all-knowing. He knows everything that you're facing. He's a perfect Father who loves you perfectly, who cares for you perfectly. And if, if anything, I'm thankful for my kids and the relationship I get to have with my kids because it's through them that I get to come to understand the love the Father has for me. I know my posture towards my kids, but sometimes when I think about God the Father towards me, I come to doubt his love, doubt his care, doubt his protection. And I think it's for me, if Jesus were here with me, he would say, Justin, you must not understand the loaves. If you understood the loaves, you wouldn't question my love and care and protection and security over your life. When you've been out to sea, when you're emotionally and physically drained from rowing, you three to four miles in, you're painfully making headway. Jesus sees, Jesus cares. There's not a detail of your life that has slipped past God unnoticed. He is not indifferent towards it. He cares. One commentator said, some may find comfort in knowing that even when they do not see Jesus, Jesus sees them. Jesus had not yet come to them, is what John's gospel said, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what they were experiencing. So Jesus coaches, Jesus cares, Jesus comes. We see. I love John's gospel because John writes with such optimistic view. He, it says, Jesus had not yet come. It's like, we totally are waiting for him to come. Like that, That's how Jesus responds. That's the natural posture of Jesus. When storms of life, when we're facing the storms of life, when difficulty comes, when we're painfully making headway in our life, Jesus is coming. He's going to come. We may not experience his coming. We may not see him, but he sees us and he's coming. And maybe you're here today and you're going, man, you, I'm facing challenges. I'm facing difficulty. I'm facing the storms of life. And maybe right now you're like, I don't know. Jesus had not yet come, but he is coming. He's coming. 
Verse 19 through 21, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. Here's what this passage doesn't describe. You know what didn't happen? We don't hear anything about the wind changing. We don't hear anything about the storm changing. What changed? Jesus was present. Jesus doesn't promise that the storms of life will stop coming. Jesus doesn't promise that the difficulty in life, that it won't be present. But he does promise that he will be present in the midst of them. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. The storms, I'm like, I want to be able to say this. And maybe you're with me. I think to understand the loaves and understand what's happening there postures me to be able to say this. The storms can continue as long as you're with me. Do you believe that? I think about being back on that boat in San Diego and asking the question, is this safe? And to be quite honest in that moment, the only thing that made me feel safe was that the person driving the boat was intimately aware and knowledgeable about the boat. They were a Navy captain. So we're on this little inflatable boat, Navy. I'm like, I don't know. That person knows this boat inside and out. He knows the, the possibilities of this boat, knows the ocean, has been on the ocean, is intimately aware of, of the ocean. And I think about this, the disciples, it says they were glad to take him into the boat. I'm just thinking if I was out to sea and the Navy captain was not on the boat with me, I would be glad to take a Navy captain onto the boat. And here's the thing. I'm looking back at the guy who just multitude, like multiplied fishes and loaves, and, and like we see this multitude of, of food and abundance, and I go, I'm going to be glad to take that guy into my boat. Not just because he knows all things, and he's intimately aware, but he actually has power over the storm. He has power over the wind. He is sovereign over the events that are occurring in your life. He has power, and in the midst of that, if the storm doesn't stop, just to have him near, just to have him present, he is acquainted with me. He is knowledgeable of me. He knows my fears. He knows my life. He knows my storms. He is over the storms. He has power over the storms. He's walking on top of the storms. I don't know anybody else who can do that. And I think that's why they're moved to fear because they're looking at this guy and going, I don't know who that is that walks on water, but that's somebody powerful. And I would be glad to take that guy into my boat. Here's the question. Is Jesus in your boat? Have you invited Jesus? Jesus, Come into the boat. I am painfully making headway in life. Doesn't mean the storms will stop. It does mean that he will care for you. He will coach you. He will come to you. He will be present with you. And I want you to see where the ultimate destination leads. That Jesus will one day calm the storm. The storm will be calmed. In verse 21, it says, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. 
It's, it's almost like this is another miraculous event. Here we are rowing painfully. Not, we're in the middle, not making our way across. And all of a sudden, we're at the shore. They were at the land to which they were going. An old hymn says this, Not our choice, the wind's direction, unforeseen, the calmer gale. The great ocean swells before us, and our ship seems small and frail. Fierce and gleaming is thy mystery, drawing us to shores unknown. Plunge us on with hope and courage till thy harbor is our home. He's leading us to a place of ultimate security, ultimate refuge, ultimate calm, peace. Psalm 107 describes this. Psalm 107, verse 23 through 30, as a prophetic word of this event and what Jesus is doing in all of life. It says this, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters, And they saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. That's me in San Diego. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wits end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. This past year, I got a tattoo of an old pirate ship on my arm on the stormy waters as a, as a picture of life. Like we are on the stormy waters But Jesus is leading us to a safe haven. He's leading us to a safe harbor. And so here's the question for us this morning. In the midst of the storm, in the midst of the difficulty, in the midst of the wind and the pressures that are piling against us, I pray that we would be more afraid of Jesus than we would be the storm. I pray that we would see Jesus and be captivated by the power he has, not the power of a storm. Do we see Jesus and his holiness, his power and strength? Do we see his ability not only to calm the storm, but to calm us with his presence? And so my question this morning is, do you understand the loaves? I think Jesus is doing this for us. And I would describe it like this. When we think about the story of the disciples headed out to sea, painfully making headway across the water, not being able to reach their safe harbor, not being able to reach their safe haven, Jesus sees them, Jesus cares for them, Jesus comes to them. And Jesus says in Mark 6, I think verse 52, They did not understand the loaves and their hearts were hardened. Let me ask you a question. What was the evidence to Jesus that they didn't understand the loaves? I want you to think about that. 
What is it that Jesus saw in that moment? Them upon the waters that caused Jesus to say, they don't understand the loaves. And then I'll ask another question. What would be evidence that they did understand the loaves? If Jesus were to see that same event play out differently, what would have to play out differently about that event that would cause Jesus to say, you understood the loaves. You understood what I was doing there. You understand. And I think if we wrestle with that question, I think the, the first one being, what was it that gave evidence? It's, it's their fear. It's their insecurity. It's the fact that they're frightened. It's the, it's the fact that they're the way they process this storm. And I go, it, it would be different if the way they processed the storm was one with boldness, one with crying out to Jesus, one who, who believed if, if he can multiply a few fish and, few, and, a, and a few loaves of bread and multiply that, then he has the power to do anything. And, and, and we, although he's on the hillside, he knows his, his prey, he's with us. He cares for us. He can do anything. And I, I just feel like that their trip across that sea would be marked with boldness, courage. And I think that's the thing that Jesus is wanting to produce in them, not in their own strength, but in who Jesus is. The sign was meant to point to him, and they missed it. They lacked spiritual perception. So my question to you this morning is, what is your life marked by? Is it marked more by fear, questioning the authority and power of Jesus, questioning what Jesus is capable of doing, questioning the strength of Jesus? Or is your life characterized by knowing that Jesus is a safe place, Jesus is a place of security, Jesus is a place I go when I'm afraid, Jesus is a place where I go when I'm in the storms. Jesus is the place when I, where, where I come when I'm painfully making headway through life. Do I lose my mind or does Jesus anchor me? And I think that's the lesson that Jesus wants to communicate. How we respond to the storms of life communicates what we believe about Jesus. It's meant to point to Jesus. It's meant to secure us in Jesus. Do you have that type of security today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have not left us in this life to navigate life on our own. Father, you care for us. You care for us. You know what we're experiencing. You know what we are facing. You know what we are walking through. And for many of us in this room, painfully making headway through life may be an understatement. We don't, for some of us, we, we may not be experiencing any headway in life. 
So Father, I pray this morning that you would meet us, that you would build courage in us, you would build boldness in us. May you move us to a place of trust in you. May we not see the miraculous sign and just go, what a miracle. It's good, it's good to keep Jesus around, but we would take Jesus in our boat and go, we need your presence with us. We need your presence with us this morning. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.